Good morning. How we doing, guys? Have a good week? All right. Well, we are in our third week in the book of Habakkuk. Go ahead, just say the name, Habakkuk. All right. One of my favorite names to say of all scripture. Um, before I jump into the series, let me just give a few announcements because we got a lot of fun stuff happening, all right? So uh, first off, next week um, on Saturday from 3 to 6, is that correct? Did I get the times right? Oh, Brandy? Yeah, I guess. All right, we're going to have a baby shower for Raul and Brandy. Uh, we're inviting everybody. It's open to the whole church. You're going to have some family coming out as well, but church family is invited as well. Uh, we are going to ask church family if you guys could bring a side dish or uh, you know, just finger food, something for us to snack on, because you know us Baptists, we can't get together unless there's good food. Uh, so if you can bring something, that'd be great. Uh, there'll be some games. They're also going to be doing raffles. So if you bring uh, diapers, you get to be in the diaper raffle, and there's a prize for that at the end. Um, if you have any further questions, either see myself or seek them out, and we'll give you the details. But we're really excited to celebrate the new addition to the church family. Uh, it's so great to see, be a church, right? We get to divide the pains, and we get to share the joys. So we have that happening next Saturday from 3 to 6. Um, the other thing that we have going on is Alan, of course, has had surgery. So uh, Alan is our facilities director. He normally takes care of making sure this place is ready to roll each Sunday. Because of his injury, we do need people to step up and help up with cleaning. So from 10 to about noon every Saturday, we're getting a group of people together just to do the basic things, dust, vacuum, mop, those kind of things. We have a sign-up sheet in the back. I'm going to ask if you have a Saturday that's open, if you just sign up. Uh, we, we've been getting people coming, but we sometimes have a lot of people, and then some weekends we have no people. And so we're just trying to get a little bit better of planning it so we know how many folks are coming, who's going to do what, and how we're going to take care of it. So if you have the ability on Saturday to show up and help us out, we would love it. It would really help us, especially over the next you know, month or so as he's getting mobility back in that arm. So again, uh, if you're interested, just sign up in the back. And then lastly, we have our fall festival coming in October. It's going to be on the 28th, which is a Saturday. Uh, we are asking for donations of candy uh, so that when the kids come, they'll be able to have a lot of snacks and it'll just be a good, fun Christian environment for our kids to dress up, have some fun, get some candy. Um, I would ask as you're planning out your, your Halloween costumes and having fun with that, uh, just remember when they come to church, we should be doing everything and how we dress and how we present ourselves to honor God. So, um, you know, James, and no sexy ghost costume for you, okay? Uh, I don't want to see any, basically any of the costumes that are regular things, but then have the sexy in front of them, we could probably just skip all those, all right? Uh, so let's just make sure as we come and present ourselves to God, we have fun, but we also do it in a way that honors Him and respects Him. All right, you guys ready? Habakkuk, here we go. So if you haven't been here, let me introduce myself. My name is Luke Gradless. I have the great honor of being the pastor here at Harmony Baptist Church. Uh, we are in this series in the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is a, a prophet. And so a prophet is simply a person who is tasked by God to deliver a message to his people. Now in Habakkuk, we get something that's a little unique and a little bit different. Habakkuk's main conversation isn't really between him and Israel. It's between him and God on behalf of Israel. And what's beautiful about this book is that this book hits home for so many who have been on the journey of walking with God for a while because here's what we all realize. While being a Christian does bring you immense joy, brings you unbelievable happiness, and connects you into this loving relationship with God that, I mean, honestly, there's no words to describe it. 
if you haven't been in love with God, if you haven't experienced the love that He gives you, it is a love so pure, so amazing, so beyond words, you can't really describe it. And so there's this unbelievable joy to it, but there is sometimes a confusion for people. Some people have this belief that they're going to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to, I'm a Christian, and then just boom, life gets easy. No more temptations, no more failings, no more world attacking them, no more struggles, and that's just not realistic. The reality is God never promises it will be a smooth path for us here in life. What He promises is, I will give you everything you need to get through it and to ultimately be victorious in eternity. And so that's the promise we hold on to, is not that it makes life easy today, but that in the moment we will get the strength we need to get through it, and we have a glorious hope waiting for us in the future. And so what Habakkuk talks to us about is then how do you survive in those moments where when you look at life, you go, this was a crummy week. Or this was a crummy year. Or for some of us, this has been a really bad decade. Hopefully that's not you, but let's be real, right? We run into those moments. And so Habakkuk is in the midst of this conversation where he loves his God, he trusts his God, but he's also looking around at the world he lives in going, where are you, God? Do you not see what's happening? Do you not see the pain? Do you not see the hurt? Do you not see the injustice? Do you not see the violence? Do you not see all this ugliness around us? God, if you're capable of doing anything and everything, where are you, man? Where are you? And so we're walking through this conversation between Habakkuk and God of them discussing this fact. How do we deal with the awesome, almighty, all-powerful, all-good God who still allows for there to be pain and suffering in the world that we live in. And so before we dive into the specifics of today's text, I just want to kind of set the table for you of some of the things we've been talking about. So two verses that we've been pointing to is kind of the key to the series. These are things that frame the whole conversation have been these two verses. One is in Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9. It says here, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What's his point? He is God. He has no limit to power. He has no limit to knowledge. He has no limit to his presence. He has no sin in his life. He knows no failure. He knows no weakness. We can say none of those things about you and I. We are temporal, and in fact, we are unbelievably temporal. In fact, Scripture describes our lives as but a mist, like a vapor that just disappears. And man, you know what? The older I get, the more I realize that. The more I realize that. The other day I had one of those moments where um, I realized I was, like, when I was 18, my parents were 36, so you can do the math there. But I'm 34, about to be 34, and so I was thinking back to where they were when I was that age, and I'm like, I remember you guys being that young. And it, it doesn't seem like that long ago. Which then made me realize, it won't be that long till I'm in my 50s looking back going, what happened? How did we get here? The older you get, man, the faster it just seems to go. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, if you told me something was six months away, I'd be like, why are you even talking to me about that? Now something's six months away, and I'm like, oh my gosh, are we ready? Are we going to be prepared for this? Do we have enough time to take care of this? Life just seems to accelerate. And so God's going, guys, 
I'm eternal, you're temporary. Sometimes you're not going to understand what I'm doing. And the analogy we keep talking about is like trying to explain life decisions to a one-year-old. You, you can barely communicate basics, let alone explain ethical, moral, and huge judgment issues to them. In many ways, that's God talking to you and me. Now, where it's hard for you and me is we think we're pretty impressive. Right? We're like humans. We're awesome. Look at all the things we've figured out. And God's like, oh, that's cute. You know? It kind of reminds me of like when you see the parent bragging about how smart their two-year-old is. And meanwhile, you look over and they're eating their own boogers. And you're like, genius. The kid's brilliant. Yep. Mm-hmm. Top of the class right there, baby. Uh-huh. I think sometimes that's God looking at us. We're like, oh, you see how smart I was? You said I put that together? And God's like, cute. Cute. Nice try, son. Nice try. We have to have this perspective in life. The second verse we've been looking at is Mark 2.17. And it's when Jesus is talking about who he came for. And he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so why are these two verses so important, not just in this scripture, but throughout this series, is because they're the two things you have to acknowledge to one, start the right relationship with God, and second, to keep the right relationship with God. If you and I never acknowledge that God is greater than us, that His ways are holier, purer, and better, you and I will never turn to Him. What would be the point? Why would I ever want to hand control of my life to someone else? The only way would be is if I realize He is holier, purer, more powerful, more knowledgeable, more loving, more holy, more gracious, more forgiving, more everything than I am. So I don't want to drive. I want you to drive. And the second is, is I have to realize in that I'm sick, I need help. He's called a Savior for a reason. But if you're too arrogant, if you look in the mirror and go, I don't need to be saved, then you'll never have Him as a Savior. There has to be that moment where you fall on your knees, you look in the mirror and you go, I need someone to drive. I need someone to save me because I can't do this. I can't. And so what I always try to remind people is when you come to church, right, sometimes we get this idea of church folks are like we put on the best facade, we try to say all the right Bible answers, we try to say the right things, we try to make everything look great. And really it's beyond church now, right? Facebook, Instagram, we're all good at this now. We put our best foot forward. We, we create the image we want you to have. Church is nothing but a gathering of addicts to sin. And even though we may be getting better, we may be fighting it, we may be better at pushing off those temptations, we're still all addicts. And we come together every week to go, hey, I'm going to turn back to my Savior who is my answer. I'm going to get with my brothers and sisters who are on this journey with me. But this is never a place for us to come to be perfect. This is a place for us to come to be broken and ask for healing. That's the beauty of the church. And so we keep those things in mind. He's holier and better than we are, and I need Him. I absolutely need Him. Now, as we've been looking at Habakkuk, we've read already verses 1 through 11. And so in verses 1 through 11, what we really get is at the beginning, Habakkuk starts complaining. God, where are you? And it's funny because if you read those verses, they hit home for today. I mean, you just go home and watch the news. You just go home and look at what's happening in our country. You just look what's happening in our society. You just look what's happening in our families, right? We're on the brink of war, it feels like. We're divided as a nation. We got racial tension. We got political tension. We got all kinds of things happening. Things that we used to think we could simply define and agree on, we don't anymore. We don't agree on basics. 
You see violence, you see injustice, you see all kinds of things happening. And what's confusing nowadays is we don't even have a standard of what we call right or wrong. You could easily look at what Habakkuk says to God at the beginning of this book and you could say the same things today. And so Habakkuk cries out to God and God responds. And so in those last two weeks, here's what we really kind of summed up. We said, one, the important thing is be real with God. You're in a relationship with Him. So what's the difference between religion and relationship? Religion is the traditions and rituals that God gives us that help keep structure in our relationship. And so I always kind of compare that. That's like me celebrating my anniversary with my wife. It's like me remembering her birthday. It's like the little traditions me and her have built. The reality is, those things in and of themselves really aren't valuable. Right? If me and my wife hate each other, but I still remember her anniversary and take her out on a date, does that mean everything's good? No. However, if I love her and everything's going great, probably a good thing that I remember the anniversary and take her out on a date. So religion is valuable only when the relationship behind it is in the right place. But where people get turned off is they see people and they go, you have a bad relationship. I don't even know if you know God, but I'm religious. Great, so you remember the traditions, but you don't have the fire behind them. Now, some people go the wrong way and they go, well, forget those. I have the relationship. I don't need to do those things. No, God asked you to do those things. So even like today, we're going to take Lord's Supper. We do that not because I think this bread is holy, not because I think that I'm being poured into when I do it. I do it because I love my Savior and He asked me to do this for Him. He asked me occasionally to take the bread and to take the cup to remember the sacrifice He made. So that's why I do it is because I have that relationship with Him. And so in being real with Him, the key is tell God how you feel. Habakkuk's upset. He's angry. He's frustrated. He's mad. And he yells at God. And I think it's beautiful that that's recorded in God's book. Why? Not because God wants you to be angry with Him, but God wants to be in a place with you when you're angry with Him, you tell Him. When you're happy with Him, you tell Him. Let's be real, for some of us, we probably hit those seasons of time where our prayers have become robotic. Have you ever done that? Like you've gotten into the habit of prayer, and you just kind of say the same prayer you've been saying. And then you close your eyes and you go to sleep. But you you didn't really have a conversation. You didn't really pour out your heart. You just said some words. We have to make sure in our relationship with God that we don't become robotic. That if you're ticked, you tell Him you're ticked. And if you're joyful, you tell Him you're joyful. And if you're laughing at something, you tell Him you're laughing. You're real with Him. And the key to that is, He already knows. You can't hide anything from them. All it's doing, though, is it's showing the intimacy. You can't keep the knowledge from them, but you can keep the intimacy in the relationship. And so in Habakkuk, we see that. You be mad with God, be mad with God. And know, when you're real with Him, He listens. That in and of itself is an amazing gift that you and I take for granted so often. That the holy, almighty creator of the universe, the one who has no sin and manages the universe listens when I talk. I mean, let's be real. There are a lot of people who are drastically less important than God that could care less what I think. I mean, anybody experienced that at work? 
hey, I got an idea. That's cute, right? We'll run into this at my company I work at all the time. We're like, if you don't have the right title, they won't even respond to you. Like, they don't even read the email. They like skim to the bottom. They're like, nope, not a president. See you later. We run into this all the time where people don't care what we say. God Almighty cares what you have to say. Amen. How awesome is that? Be real with Him and know that He listens. But understand what? He's going to act in His own way. So where some of us get confused is we think Christianity is me presenting my will to God and then He makes it happen. No. He's Lord, I am the servant. I have signed up to be His servant because I realize He is holy, awesome, and all-loving. So I don't show up and tell Him, boss, this is how it's going to go. I show up and go, boss, what are we doing today? God, you show me the path, you show me the plan, and I'm going to use everything I have to help make that happen. Now, just like in all things in life, there's times I don't get the plan. Just don't get it. Why? Sometimes it's because he needs me to have faith. Sometimes it's because he couldn't possibly explain it to us. Our brains would not comprehend what he is working at. So be real with him and know he listens, but also understand just because he listens doesn't mean he's going to give you what you asked for. He's going to give you what you need. And those can be very, very different things. And I'll tell you, the older I get, the more happy I am about that. Because I'll tell you, all the plans I had would never have led to the joy I've experienced in my life. The most joyous things I treasure in my life were things that were never part of my plan. They were the things that were part of His plan that He's made happen in my life. And I go, thank God you're driving and not me. So be real. Know He listens. Understand He acts in His own way. And then remember this. The reason you and I struggle with His way sometimes is even in our holiness, we are sinners. Amen. You and I are broken. We are selfish. We're consumed with sin. Even the best of us. I mean, do you ever have those moments where you're like, man, if people knew what I was thinking, they would not think I'm a good person. Like, can you imagine a transcript of your thoughts between rush hour traffic being presented to people? My goodness, we would not be considered good human beings after that. Like, do you ever have those moments you say something out loud you've been thinking, you're like, man, that sounds terrible when I say it out loud. Why? Because we're sinners. This is what we are. We are in a sinful society, in a sinful culture, raised sinful, are sinful, it's in us. Even at our best, we're not that great. And He is pure, holy. We can't even comprehend it. And so that's why when He gives me something that's confusing, I go, I trust you. I trust you. I don't get it. I may not like it, but I trust you, God. I will trust you on this. So, let's look at Habakkuk verses 12 through 17. So, while you're flipping there, let me give you back the context to where we were. Habakkuk complains, God, where are you? Do you see what's happening? Why aren't you acting? Please do something. There's injustice in the land. God goes, Habakkuk, I'm listening and I've got it. You've said that the nation has fallen into sin. The nation has turned away from me. The nation is embracing sin. The nation loves injustice. And you have called to me to do something about it. I'm going to. That part we love. We're like, yes, God's going to act. What I'm going to do 
is I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, or as you may know from history, the Babylonians. They're going to take over the people of God. They're going to punish them for their sins. They're going to disperse them. And through that, justice will be had. And Habakkuk goes, wait, what? I was asking for help, God. The help you're going to send is we're going to get conquered? I told you last week, that'd be like us as a nation crying out to God, God, please help America. We're in trouble. Help us. And God goes, I am. The North Koreans are coming. <laughs> God, I said we're in trouble. We needed help. What do you mean the North Koreans are coming? Right, I'm going to use the North Koreans to punish you guys for all the things you've done. It's going to break through your hardened hearts. You're going to realize that all the pain and suffering you have is because of your own arrogance. You're going to be humbled again. And in that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to turn back to me and I'm going to make things right again. And back is like, oh, that was okay. And so in verse 12, we pick up with Habakkuk's response to this. So great news, God's listening. He hears. He's got a solution. Bad news, we don't really like it. So look at verse 12. Are you not, this is again Habakkuk talking to God, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Now, up until that point, what does everything about his words sound like? Goodness, right? It's goodness. He's basically saying, like, God, I get it. You're God and I'm not. You are holy, you are pure, you are awesome, I love you, I trust you. But, right, that but's coming, look at what he says next. But why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up? The man who is more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. And by them he lives in luxury. And his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post, station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me. And what will I will answer concerning my complaint. So what's his point? He paints this analogy of a fisherman. And he's basically saying, God, this, this, this nation that you're going to raise up is like a fisherman who's just going to pull us in, drag us out of your, your love and grace, and, and is going to use us to benefit and enrich himself. I don't get it. The Chaldeans are going to come in. They're going to treat us like we're not even human beings. They're going to become rich and powerful off of it. I, I, I don't get it. I know I said I love you, and I know I said I trust you, and I know I know who you are, but I, I, I just don't get it. I love this because this is life. How many of you have had that moment? How many of you have sat in a hospital, sat in a church, sat at a graveyard, sat somewhere and just been going, I, I don't get this, God. I really, I really don't get this. This is where faith really comes in. Faith doesn't come in when things are great. Faith comes in when things are broken and hurting. <laughs> 
And this is where you will really decide, are you a believer who serves Him as Lord? Or is He just your backup plan? I'll be real, the thing I think we struggle with in America as Christians is I don't think the majority of people who call themselves Christians actually go to God as Lord. God's their backup plan. They go, I drive, I rule, my game plan, my way. When it doesn't work, I ask God to make it better. It's why when do churches fill up in this country? When bad things happen. It's only in those moments where we truly look around and go, we don't have this that all of a sudden people start coming back to God. But you never see us when things are going great, fill up churches. Because then we're like, we got this. I don't need a Savior right now. You see how great things are going? And so how do we handle those moments when we're struggling like this? The reality is I'm not going to give you an answer today. Because the reality is sometimes God doesn't give us an answer. Amen. I wish I could tell you that in every moment of your life where you're confused that you could trust that God was going to come to you and lay out a game plan. He's not going to. He will give you enough evidence to show you that He is present and that He has a plan for you. But then He is going to ask you to faithfully follow. Look at Job chapter 2, verse 10. I always love this verse from Job. So you remember, Job is a man who had become unbelievably rich, influential, and just had a wonderful life. And then Satan came and wiped it away. And as that happens, everybody's looking at him going, what did you do wrong, Job? For God to let this happen, you must have done something terrible. And he's going, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. And at one point, his wife looks at him, his wife, and goes, would you just curse God and die? And he responds, he says this, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. What's his point? His point is, is, let's be real. Sometimes you and I are treated unfairly, but for our benefit. How many times have you been blessed far beyond what you deserved? Did you ever in those moments go, God, we need to talk. This isn't right. You've given me too much. Take it back. God, thank you for bringing me this woman, but she's too good for me. Take her away. God, that raise you gave me, I really didn't deserve that. 6%, come on. 2% at best. <laughs> Take it back. We don't do that. right? So when unfairness comes and we get blessed, we're like, yep, that's right. That's how this works, because I'm a good person. But then when unfairness comes the other way, we're like, well, this doesn't work. This doesn't make sense. This isn't fair. God, where are you? And Job's point is like, we should be very careful to be people who are like, it needs to be exactly right. Because those scales might not measure the way we want them to. I mean, let's be real. If that's how it worked in life, there'd be some mistakes we'd make we could never pay the debt for. Amen. And you just go, I guess for the rest of my life, I, my life just needs to be crummy because of what I've done. I, the reality is, I don't really want a completely fair God. I actually want a God who gives me grace. And so Job goes, he's given me so much and I never complained. How can I not take this and complain? i got to have the right perspective on this. And so what we realize in this is that we have to keep the faith even when we don't understand the judgments. Why? He's earned it. 
He's earned it. He's the one that creates us. He's the one that loves us. And He is the one that has blessed us with so much. So for us, in the moments where it's hard to just give up, doesn't make sense. I always use the example with the kids on Wednesday nights of Mary. God came to Mary and said, Mary, you, who have not had sex, are going to give birth, and it's going to be my child. Now let's be real. Do you think that was a reach for her mind to understand? Yeah, because she's sitting there going, I don't know how that's possible. I don't know how that's possible. Now, did God explain every way that it would work? Did he explain how everything in life was going to work out? No, he gives her an unbelievably miraculous thing that's going to happen to her and is going to have huge implications on her life. Could totally ruin her reputation. Could even lead to some people wanting to kill her. Because in that culture, having a child out of wedlock meant you were a huge sinner and sometimes they put you out. God doesn't outline everything, but he gives her enough. Notice, one, he comes to her and he tells her, you're going to give birth to the Savior. She goes and she sees Elizabeth, a family member, to talk to her. And the family member goes, God told me you're going to give birth to the Savior. Then she goes back to see her fiancé and he goes, God just gave me a dream. He told me you're going to give birth to the Savior. Then she gives birth to the Savior and what happens? A bunch of shepherds show up and go, we don't really know what's going on. A bunch of angels came and told us to come here because the Savior's here. Then eight days later, she takes them to the synagogue to cleanse them and two different people go, that baby's the Savior. Then a year later, wise men from the Orient show up and go, we're here looking for the Savior. We heard he's here. Was there a roadmap given to her of everything that was happening? No. But did God repeatedly tell her clearly through different people and in different ways the exact same message? Yes. He gave her enough to keep the faith. He gave her enough to stand firm. He gave her enough that when doubt would creep in, she could go, I believe in Him. That's His promise. That's His promise. Not every answer, but enough answers for you to stand your ground. Look at John 16.33. I have said these things to you that you may have peace in the world. Or you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That is ultimately what we're hoping faith in. I don't get everything, God, but that is what I believe the end result will be. The end result I believe in is, well, I don't understand everything that will get me there. I believe in the end, Father. The world is full of death. You are full of life. And you will overcome death. That's why I follow you. And we've got to hold on to that. Because in the darkness... What your enemy will try to do is to point you to all the things you don't understand, all the things you don't know, and he will try to get you to get off path and go your own way. It's in those moments you go, you know what? I don't get it all, but I've been given enough to walk the path. I'm going to sum up a story that I think illustrates this phenomenally in Scripture. It's a story of Joseph, and it's told from Genesis chapter 37 all the way through Genesis chapter 45. Now, of course, we're not going to read all those verses today, but I encourage you to take some time in your own study to look through it. This story is a phenomenal, phenomenal example of how we don't get all the details, but God is working towards victory. 
And the story of Joseph, what we see is we see Joseph is the favorite son of Israel. He is treated better. He is, lives in wealth. He has everything you could possibly imagine. And because of jealousy that rises up in his family, because basically Israel is very clear, he has a favorite son, and he treats the others not that good. And so because there's this favoritism and this bad parenting, eventually what happens is the other brother's like, we're going to kill this guy. We are tired of him. We're absolutely tired of him. He's the youngest, but he acts like he's the ruler. And in fact, Joseph, in his own ignorance, will sometimes be like, guys, I had a dream. And the dream was, all of you one day are going to bow down to me. Isn't that cool? And they're like, not cool, man. Not cool. And after they react badly to the first dream, later he shows, I had another dream. And it was the same point. One day, you guys are going to bow to me. Again, not cool. And eventually, I was like, kill him. They have a little come into conscience and they go, you know what, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him as a slave. Okay? That's good enough? So they take this young boy, they sell him as a slave, and before he knows it, he's in Egypt. Now, if you're him, are you appreciating what's happening? No. It's not his fault he was the favorite son. It's not his fault that God gave him visions. It's not his fault that there was jealousy among the brothers. And now here he is in a foreign land serving as a slave. But what does God do with him? He sold him this house as a slave to a man named Potiphar. And immediately Potiphar goes, you're brilliant. The more important than you being brilliant, it feels like everything you touch, God blesses. And very quickly, Joseph becomes the guy who's running the household. So even though he's a slave, you don't really want to mess with him. He runs Potiphar's estate. Things are going well. Although, a bad thing happens. It tells us in the Bible that Joseph's a good-looking guy. And, I mean, he must have been really good-looking that God was like, I need to let you know, he was, he was good-looking. It tells us that Potiphar's wife would look at him and she enjoyed his figure. I imagine the guy's ripped. Alright? So, she decides she wants him. And he keeps telling her, I can't do this. I can't do it for Potiphar because he has trusted me with everything. I cannot betray him. And more importantly, I will not betray my God. My God has told me not to do this. But she won't give up. And so one day, she steals his cloak when no one's around and she screams rape. He gets thrown in jail. Imagine you're him. You didn't deserve to be in Egypt in the first place. You didn't deserve to be a slave in the first place. But even after that, you raise yourself up to where you're at least living a decent life. And what happens? You wrongfully get accused of murder and now you're thrown in jail, which back then was basically a pit. But you know what happens? The warden of the pit goes, I don't know, you seem pretty brilliant. And everything you do, God seems to touch. And before you know it, guess what Joseph's doing? Basically running the prison. Two prisoners show up and they have had these dreams. And Joseph goes, my God actually does really good at telling me about dreams. And so he tells the guys their dreams and what they mean. He says, for one of you, you're going to die. Sorry, bad news. For the other one, he goes, you're going to get restored to the king. You'll be working for the Pharaoh by in a week. He says, hey, remember me. Remember me when you get back there. Well, everything happens just as he had told. One guy dies, the other gets restored. Now the guy forgets about him. But years later, Pharaoh starts to have these dreams and he can't interpret them and they're driving him nuts. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer goes, oh my gosh, there's this guy in jail, and he does this dream thing. Let me see if he's still alive. Hopefully he is. They go get Joseph, and they pull him up, and Joseph goes, I can tell you what your dreams mean, because God has told me. There's going to be seven years 
of unbelievable abundance and then there's going to be seven years of famine. You need to start storing things up now. Amen. you got to start saving. you got to start storing so that when those famine years come, you'll be fine. Pharaoh's so impressed, he goes, you're brilliant, and it looks like whatever you touch, God blesses. You notice that it's a reoccurring thing for Joseph. Everybody always realizes God's blessing what he does. And he goes, you know what? You're second in command. You help me run the country. You help us get prepared for this. So what does this have to do with Habakkuk? What it has to do with is eventually the famine is so bad that Joseph finds himself standing before his brothers kneeling at him. Amen. His brothers don't know who he is, but his brothers go, we are from Israel, we are starving. We have no food. Help us. Everything that God said as his child is happening right now. There's a whole ordeal of how he reveals himself to his brothers, but when he finally does, his brothers are terrified. And rightfully so, right? We faked your death, we sold you as a slave, and we sent you here. Now you're unbelievably powerful, and we're not, and we're in your hands. What are you going to do? And they assume he's going to kill him. But Joseph has a totally different perspective on it. He says this, he says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to persevere for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. What's his point? You did what you did for evil. But God was driving the whole time and he did it for good. What's Joseph's perspective? His perspective is, guys, nothing happened that God wasn't driving. And while you and I couldn't see when you sold me, and while you and I couldn't see as I was a slave, and while you and I couldn't see while I was in prison, the beauty of it all was, God had a plan to get me here to this moment. And thank God He did. If you'd never sold me, if I'd never been a slave, if I'd never been in prison, I probably wouldn't be standing here. And we'd probably see thousands upon thousands, if not millions of people dead because of that. What Joseph realizes there is God's ways are higher than his. And though throughout that entire journey there were probably many moments where Joseph did not understand the plan. Well, there were probably many moments where he was crying to God going, Why? I don't get it. What he sees in this moment is, Now I understand God. Now I get why you did what you did. The beauty of Scripture is there is story after story after story that shows us this example. And the reason God has given those to you and to me is so that we, like Joseph, when we're in those moments in the pit, we can realize there's light out there. We can realize what John tells us, that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It is only natural and it is only realistic to expect that there will be many moments in your life where you have no clue what God is doing. But it's in those moments that you hold faith to what He has already done. And you trust that He is the Lord for a reason and He will get you through. When I read stories like this, it gives me a whole new perspective on my dark days. Because what I start to realize is, is there's probably a really high chance that at some point in my life I will look back on what were my dark days and I will actually appreciate them more than any of the others. Because I will realize in those moments is when He was truly doing His greatest work.
And so that's the message that Habakkuk is going to start taking into his life, is that he was going to realize the righteous have to live by faith. And faith is in that moment where you understand nothing of God's plan, but you know enough of Him and His character to say, Father, I trust You. You want me to go here? I'll go here. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. As you prepare yourself for that, I want you to think about the reality of how this in and itself is the exact same kind of example to us. Jesus sat there on that last meal with His disciples and they didn't know what to do. They knew He was about to leave. They knew He was about to die. And they said, we don't get how that cross could ever be anything good. We don't get how us leaving everything we ever had to follow You and that resulting in you being beaten, tortured, and murdered and put on a cross could ever lead to anything good. God, we don't know what we're going to do, Jesus, when you're not here tomorrow. We've become so dependent on you. What will life be when you're not here? They were in one of those dark pits themselves going, you're telling us the plan, but we don't get it. It was in that moment he asked them to take the supper saying, there will be a day you will look back on what's about to happen and you won't look with grief in your heart, you'll look with joy. Amen. There will be a day you'll look back at my blood spilt and my broken body and you will thank me for it. And you will realize that though in the moment you thought it was the darkness, it was really the light. And so brothers and sisters, as, as we sing and as we pray, prepare, I ask you to go to the Lord in prayer. And I ask you to go to Him and be right knowing a few things. One, whether you're in the pit or you're standing on the mountaintop today, I don't know. But either way, it doesn't change who your God is or what plans He has for you. Second, know as we prepare to take this, that the holiness of this is not in the bread or wine itself. The holiness is in what God did that is represented in this. That He loved you so much that He died upon a cross, that He broke His body and He spilt His blood so that you and I, if we submit to Him, and we will follow Him, that He will give us eternal life. And know that when we take this bread and we take this cup, we are proclaiming that gospel. So because of that, I ask that as we pass it out, if you yourself are not a believer, if you're not in a position where you would proclaim the gospel of Christ is true, please don't take. Because we're not just eating. We're proclaiming the sacrifice He made and our submittance to Him as our Lord and Savior. Let's all go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll take the Lord's Supper.